Welcome to the Acro Files. We're continuing our interviews with founders and, and leaders of the American College of Real Estate Lawyers, which was founded in 1978 by 18 practitioners who formed a group to share experiences and, and knowledge as, as the real estate industry evolved over the past 45 years. Today, um, our guest is my friend, John Hollyfield. Welcome, John. Thank you, glad to be here. Great. So John was one of the original members of the college in the founding class in 1979 and was the president of the college in 1991. But before we talk about Ackrell, John, I want to spend a few minutes learning a little bit more about you and where you grew up and your, your early life. And I assume it was all Texas. Uh, yeah, up, up until I uh, left to go in the United States Navy in, in 1961. Yeah, I was, I was born in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, about 30 miles north of Brownsville uh, on the Rio Grande River. Uh, my father was there because he was uh, employed by the uh, uh, Texas Department of Public Safety as a highway patrolman. Uh, my mother had, at that time, was had become a mother and a homemaker, et cetera. And then my, uh, my sister was born a year and a half later. And while well, we were still there in, in Harlingen. And for those that don't know, it's the Rio Grande Valley is like the tropics and a lovely place uh, to be, uh, cut off some shower shoes uh, 12 months out of the year. So, and then after that, it, it, well, after, after a stint down there, my father was transferred in about 1942 to Lubbock, uh, which is on the south edge of the, of the High Plains. Uh, and it, a totally different atmosphere. My mother hated it. Uh, it was dry. It was dry. It was dry. The wind blew all the time. Uh, Desert-like environment. It, Lubbock is still that way today. So <laughs> in any event, that hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, and he was stationed there until, uh, I, I'll recall it was sometime after Franklin Roosevelt passed away, uh, which would have been uh, late spring. Uh, we were there till early summer, I guess, of 1945, uh, when he was transferred, he got a promotion and uh, uh, we moved to San Antonio, Texas. And then uh, I lived there with my family uh, up until, uh, I guess the uh, uh, summer of 1952, and uh, my father got another promotion, and we were transferred to Austin, Texas, which is uh, 90 miles uh, north, uh, uh, now IH 35, uh, from, from San Antonio, and uh, my parents lived there until they passed away. Uh, I lived there. Uh, I went to high school, uh, undergraduate at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, got commissioned when I graduated from undergraduate school and uh, left Austin uh, for four years, uh, came back in, uh, after, after service in the Navy, uh, came back and went to law school there. Was there ever, Houston since 1968. So. Was, was there ever any question that when you went to college, you would be going to UT? Not in my mind, no. Uh, so it, it let me put it this way. My father and mother were both college graduates uh, and from a family where they had 
there were three kids, uh, both of their families. Their parents never went beyond high school. All six of them, the three in my father's family, the three in my mother's family, went and got college degrees. Uh, so fr from their standpoint, I could go anywhere other than AM. And uh, that was fine with me because the only place I, only place I ever wanted to go to school uh, was the University of Texas. There was now it, I, I was disadvantaged to a certain degree because I lived right there in the, in the town. Uh, but it was uh, uh, I absorbed much of college life, notwithstanding the fact that I was living at home except for one semester. Yeah. And did you meet Penny at the University of Texas? I'm sorry. Did you meet Penny at the university? Uh, yes, uh, we uh, on this past Valentine's Day, uh, we uh, marked 61 years since uh, oh. we, we met at a Valentine's Day uh, a fraternity sorority party on uh, uh, February 14th, 1961. Wow, fabulous. That's well, wonderful. We, we did not, we did not come I did not come with her and she did not come with me. We, we met <laughs> sort of in a casual group of people and I thought, boy, that's really a nice looking gal. I think I should get to know her. Now, I had to figure out what to do with the, with the date that I had that night, but in any event, so. But we followed that up by, and, and I, this is almost bragging, but from that day until I left to go in the service uh, in, in, in July, we saw each other every day, sometime, someplace. I mean, you talk about two people who were smitten, uh, there was really no question that, uh, about where this was going to end up. Now it took 18 months after that, uh, after I left Austin before uh, we, we could get married because her father required, she was a, a, a junior when I was a senior, her father required her to get her MRS, get her BS before she got her MRS, so. <laughs> and, and so you went to the Navy and was that driven by the, the, the Vietnam or? No, no, you gotta remember this was, first of all, I, I, I left high school, as I said, in 1957. Uh, and most of my buddies, it, it, again, this is showing my age, I'm, I'm 82 now. But the, the army offered this deal where if you signed up right out of, of high school, you could go for six months active duty service. And then you had an additional uh, reserve time, I think of like five or five and a half years. And you could, you had never have to left, you never had to leave town other than your, your annual training and also this six month period. But otherwise your life was not gonna be interrupted. Uh, so that appealed to a lot of the guys that I knew because they wanted to go to college and they were willing to roll the dice that nothing was gonna happen. So they did that. I said, no, I, I don't wanna break in this and I'm not gonna enlist in the army. Uh, but Vietnam didn't exist at that time. In fact, the Cold War did, but the, the, the Vietnam didn't exist. So as it, as it turned out, every one of those guys that I ran around with that took that option, none of them finished their six months. There was a huge flu epidemic 
that occurred in the bases that they were sent to. And almost all of them, I think, were sent, sent home and said, forget it. You know, you, you, you pick this up. We're not going to have what we don't want to do. This is John Hollyfield talking. The U.S. Army doesn't want to have these guys on their sick list for the next uh, five or six years picking up their medical bills. So, but anyway, no, I, in fact, one, I, I, all I wanted to do, I wanted to join the Navy. I didn't want, didn't want an enlisted man. Uh, what I was interested in was, can I come up with some sort of scholarship arrangement? Well, the Navy had a situation that you could, you could become a contract a member of NROTC, and you had a, a, a two-year active duty commitment and a four-year reserve commitment. The attractive thing at that time, after your first two years in NROTC, you received a stipend every month of around $100 or $150, okay? Well, after the first semester of undergraduate school, I was working part-time 24 hour, uh, tw 20 hours a week at a dollar an hour, uh, happy to have a job. Uh, it was not that taxing, uh, but again, it, it allowed me to go to school. You know, my, my parents could afford to buy my books and, 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 and tuition, uh, but the rest of it was, was gonna be me. I had to figure this out in some fashion. We were not rich people. Let's say my father was worked for the state police. My mother was a school teacher. So uh, that's, that's how I got to go to the Navy because I, I, figured, I, I figured I could do this. It, uh, the two-year commitment for active duty uh, seemed reasonable. The rest of it seemed reasonable as well. And, but and I only had one uh, midshipman crews requirement. If you were on a four-year commitment and you got paid for the entirety of ROTC, then you had uh, three uh, midshipman cruises, which lasted six weeks. At least at that time, they all lasted six weeks. And I, I couldn't take a chunk, and you weren't making a whole lot of money. I couldn't take a chunk of six weeks out of, out of my summers uh, because of, of the pay that, that I was going to, I was making. So. Okay, so you did, you did your Navy tour. Did what? What uh, prompted you to go to law school? It, that's not another one of those things that uh, there was there was no pressure as it related to family. I didn't. I, I, the, the the job that I had in undergraduate school was that I was basically a clerk at a legislative lobby organization. Uh, uh, the lobby organization for state employees. State employees couldn't be unionized, uh, but they could belong to basically a, 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 an organization association that lobbied on their behalf uh, with the state legislature. I worked for that company uh, or that organization, uh, but I was you know clerk type. I did whatever I was told. Uh, the head of that was a lawyer. Uh, two of the guys that I worked with uh, were uh, I get. I think they were second-year law students. One was an ex-military uh, Air Force pilot. Uh, the other guy was older. They were both older. I mean, what the heck? I was, you know, 
probably less than 20 years, 20 years old. And uh, they, uh, it, I just enjoyed being around them. So it, that prompted me that, but there was no lawyers in our family. Uh, and uh, I don't even think I knew anybody other than the guys that I was working with. Uh, that was, they weren't even lawyers. <laughs> they, were, they were just, they were just uh, lawyers to be, they, they, they hoped. So uh, when it got, to, got down to being uh, my, uh, end of my senior year, I said, you know, what am I going to do when I come back two years from now? I, I was in business school. Uh, I, I enjoyed that I hated accounting, but otherwise I enjoyed uh, the management courses and the uh, statistics courses and uh, other sorts of uh, uh, courses that I that I took. I, but I said, "Do I want an MBA?" Okay, I didn't, at that time I didn't have any idea what an MBA cost. It didn't cost nearly as much as it as it does now. But that was always in the back of my mind. Okay, where's the money going to come from to be able? Uh, to do this. I said, well, I don't know, but that's off in the future. But if I, if I want to lay some plans now about law school, and it was just a floating thought, I need to take the LSATs now, not, not come back two years from now, not having sat in a classroom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, here's your, your brain is in good shape, right? <laughs> it may not be when you come home. And so uh, there were like two or three of us that were on that same sort of cusp. So we took the LSATs and uh, uh, I remember, I, I don't remember what my grade was. Uh, and uh, so, I, so anyway, I, it was reasonably good as far as I could tell. Okay. But I, the only way I could tell was be applied to law school and law school would say, we don't render advisory opinions. Okay. So, so anyway, I, I sort of tucked that away and said, okay, who knows what? So off, off I went. And uh, in the, when I was coming to the close of my uh, sea duty assignment uh, at the end of two years with, with the Navy, uh, I was approached by uh, Bureau of Naval Personnel to, okay, would you be interested in getting this sort of additional training uh, and continuing your service in the Navy. And they wanted me to go to uh, uh, nuclear power school. Uh, and I said, you know, physics is never my strong suit. And I, I'd already heard about what went on at nuclear power school. I had somebody who had, who had been there. And of course, Rick, that was Rick Over's organization. He, he didn't, I don't know that he taught there, but it, he, it was his curriculum and it was, you know, a buster. There was no question about that. And I said, I'm just not interested in it. First of all, I'd only been married uh, for about uh, six or seven months and I wasn't sure I could come home to pay one afternoon. I said, oh, by the way, I signed up to go to nuclear power school and the first part of that First year of that is going to be this crash course in all of this nuclear engineering, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, once I once upon a time years ago, I thought I wanted to be an engineer, and I I, I convinced myself of that. That was really stupid. Uh, so so I said no, thank you. So 
that's what prompted Penny and I started talking about, okay, if I wanted to go to law school, where was the money gonna come from? She was a school teacher. And uh, so we, we agreed that, okay, if I stayed for an additional two years, one, I, I was up for a pay raise and that she would teach and substitute schools in, in San Diego to supplement uh, our income. And we basically started saving our, uh, our leave time and vacation time. Uh, and in order to hoard that and then get paid for it at the end of, of, of the, the two-year assignment that I was going uh, to take on. So we, we sort of lined all that out. Uh, as to how we could pay for it. And uh, we set off on our, on our courts. Uh, and uh, I was assigned to the Office of Naval, Naval Intelligence in uh, uh, San Diego uh, as an analyst. Uh, and I worked with three guys who were in night law school. They were, two of them were civilians and one was uh, 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 Navy, like me, uh, although he outranked me, uh, but they were—they all had wives, children, etc., and undergraduate degrees, and but were attending. Uh, was it? I think it was the University of San Diego. It, it, it had, had a night law school. I—I'm I'm trying to think for sure. There was there was another one there, but I don't think that that's what it was. But in any event, so I. I spent the next two years basically working with guys who were trying to become lawyers. And uh, so I learned a little bit, a lot about uh, what law school was about, not enough to, <laughs> to keep me from going. But in any event, that's, that's how we got there. And so when my, my tour of duty was up, uh, we went back to, uh, to, uh, to Texas. But before that, I guess, it, it, say I was, I was going to get out in, in June or July of, of 1965, uh, uh, I guess. And so I, I wrote a letter to the law school and I said, well, I took the LSATs in 1961. And I don't have any idea what my scores were. Uh, and I don't know whether they're still good or not. That, that was the one thing. Because I, before I leaped off into this void, if I was going to have to take the LSATs again, uh, boy, I thought that would be like that. Well, the law school promptly wrote me back and he said, we're happy to have you in the, in the, the 1L class uh, uh, beginning in September of 1965. And so I was ecstatic. We were both ecstatic. In the meantime, Penny had applied for uh, a, a permanent teaching position in, in Austin. And uh, we got news of that before we had to, uh, had to leave. So that's how we wound up, again, married, uh, no children at that time, uh, living in a duplex uh, in, uh, in Austin, Texas. And uh, both of us uh, trying to scrape together enough money uh, to... Uh, uh, live a decent life, what have you. And of course, part of that came from my, uh, I was able to, to join a reserve unit. And that's when Vietnam was, was making it difficult for people to get into reserve units. Well, 
I was, I was able to get into a, an intelligence unit because of my prior experience. And I was already a, a you know, a, a full Lieutenant. So that, that's, that made that a little easy. I wasn't trying to avoid the draft. I'd already, I'd already spent four years on an active duty and, and uh, didn't have to spend any more time. And uh, a couple of good things happened. One that took, I say, I got my old job back for the uh, lobby organization and uh, Penny, as I say, had her job. And uh, the, I guess the good thing happened after, well, we knew we had enough money saved back to complete the first year in, in, in school, in, in law school, along with the money that we, we could make. Now, our big thrill was, is, is that, and I have to share this, is that we could buy a case of beer on Saturday in bottles. And after you bought the first case in bottles, if you brought back the case of empties, you didn't have to put down a deposit again. And so whatever, whatever bottled beer was on special at the liquor store or what have you, we'd buy a case of it and swap the bottles out, no deposit required. And so that was five bucks or something like that. Maybe not even that much, but anyway. The big, the big advantage came when the Vietnam War uh, GI Bill was passed. I didn't think I was gonna be eligible for it, but the way it was, was, was written, uh, uh, I, I was. And starting shortly after the beginning of my uh, second year in law school, uh, that came in and I don't remember the amount of money that it was. It was, uh, I never saw the, the, the tuition money that went directly to the school, uh, but there was a, a, a specific amount of money that I received every month along with my as I say, the, the reserve pay. And so, so we were in high cotton for all practical pur purposes. Uh, if you could be in a, a second year law student and, and, and being in high cotton. So, <laughs> but that, that, that was, uh, that, that got us through law school and uh, it, it, up to the point of, of interviewing for, uh, 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 for jobs. Now, most people don't believe or don't remember if they were around. Uh, law for, law jobs were not really that hot. I mean, in other words, okay. The, most firms probably were hiring two, three, four lawyers a year, if if that many. Uh, salaries have been stuck in low gear for a long period of time, and uh, I thought, oh man, this is going to be. Uh, really difficult because I got to get in the mode of, of quote being a lawyer, dressing like a lawyer, uh, having to you know whatever wherever we were going to be. Uh, so we didn't really know exactly what the future held for us. Now uh, I graduated in the top ten percent of my class, order of the course. I was not on law review because my first semester grades were the worst grades that I made in law school, uh, but fortunately those didn't really count for anything because it was, these were year long courses. And so you really got them, got your grades at the, at the end of the year. Uh, but uh, it was, uh, I thought I was well positioned to quote, get a good job. What was, what was your first job with Fulbright? I'm sorry. Was your first job with Fulbright? 
Uh, that's been my only job. Right. So you, so you got a lot. And what was what was your starting salary in 1968? Five thousand. There's an interesting story there. Uh, the uh, I had I had received one offer, which required a much longer move than to than to Houston at a grand total of of six hundred dollars a month. Uh, I had been interviewed by Fulbright uh, and I didn't get a call back. And then long about Thanksgiving, maybe it was a little later after Thanksgiving, I got a call back and they said, would you come to Houston and go do some additional uh, interviews? Of, of folks there. The first time it was just, I, I got the interview on campus with about, uh, they had a hiring committee, I guess, whatever it was. And so you you met with about three or four lawyers, some old, some new, that kind of thing. So I said, sure. And they said, well, we'll, we'll send you a plane ticket and uh, we'd like to, you to come down on X date, whatever. It was, I think it was after Christmas as I recall, or maybe it was beforehand, but it was toward the end of the year. And I was, I was interviewed by any number of people. Uh, and uh, as it turned out, the, the, I'll say the junior associate in the real estate section had given his notice sometime between the, my first interview and uh, then, then my, my, my second one. And he was going in-house counsel for a, a, a modular uh, home uh, company. Uh, he was fairly prominent. His father sat on the state Supreme Court and been with the firm for uh, a, a number of years. I don't think he had made partner at that point in time. Anyway, so I, I was interviewed primarily by the head of the real estate section. Well, the, the day that my uh, interview was scheduled, the head of the real estate section and almost everybody else in the real estate section was involved in, a, in closing a huge sale of a giant East Texas Lumber Company. And by lumber company, I don't mean where you where you go pick up a, a two by four or whatever. We're talking about forests. We're talking about mills. We're talking about employees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, a, timber, a timber company. Timber company. Thank you. Uh, but it was one of the largest uh, privately held timber companies at that point in time. And I, I believe that it subsequently uh, was acquired by another by a conglomerate after that anyway so they were tied up on that most of the morning and i'm cooling my heels and uh, i guess people are entertaining me with with whatever trying to keep me from uh, being bored and so then i found out that well i was going to lunch with uh, uh, some people but the guy I was going to meet with he was they were celebrating their closing on this thing. And so everybody on the quote team was being 
uh, entertained, if you will, royally over some hotel not too far from where I was. Anyway, by the, by the end, of the, close to the end of the afternoon, I finally got in to, to, to talk with him. And so he said, he said, well, what do you know about real estate? And I said, well, I, I had two or three uh, real estate courses, but I mean, it, uh, I, I know I, I did pretty well in first year real estate and those kind of things. And he said, well, why would you want to be a real estate lawyer? I said, sir, using his name, uh, I want a job. I don't care what kind of job it is, as long as it's practicing law. I said, I assume coming out of, of law school that I'd wind up being a litigator. I'm not fit to be a tax lawyer, I can tell you that. Uh, but I said, uh, if you've got a job and you give it to me, uh, I'll take it and I'll do whatever you want. I'll learn whatever you want me to learn. I just need a job. So I left there not knowing whether I had a job or not. Well, like the following Monday morning, I got a call from the, the guy who was the not not the head of the real estate section, but uh, I'll call it the administrative partner that we that we had at that time, and said that I was going to get a job and I should come to work after taking the bar exam sometime in early August. At this point, we were at the, almost at the end of the year, so I was I was ecstatic. There's no question about that. And at that time, the, the, the salary was $700 a month. And so eight months passed and uh, you know, got out of school and took the bar exam, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, moved to Houston. And one, one thing, when they hired me, they said, we will move you to Houston. And so oh, we didn't have much in this in this duplex apartment that we lived in. And, but they moved it. And we had, we, I did not, I was tired of living in apartments and what have you. So uh, Penny and I found a house to buy uh, and we bought a house in the uh, Southwest part of town. It was an assumption of a GI mortgage I didn't have, have even have to use my, my, my GI Bill uh, uh, mortgage money. But uh, the idea I, I got, uh, I, this guy was being transferred by his company. I think it's Sealy Mattress Company. And he had like four head, four, a wife and four kids in his two bedroom house, about 1800 square feet in it. And they had just worn it out. There's no question about that. But it had good bones, and I recognized that, and so uh, we purchased it. As it as it turned out, the monthly P and I <laughs> on that that VA mortgage was a hundred dollars a month. Taxes and insurance were another two hundred dollars a month, and that's about how they they stayed for the ten years we lived in that house. Uh, but anyway, as I say, so we moved in. I reported for work, well, over the eight months between I, when I'd hired and when I came to work, uh, the associates had rebelled at the law firm. 
at the Shinshi races that they had gotten as compared to other of the big four <laughs> uh, law firm. Well, so they, they raised the salary. And so I had hired on at $700 a month. I showed up on my first day and the salary was $900 a month. Pretty good for not doing any work. Yeah, huh? right. I, so I went home that night and I told Penny, I said, they like me so much. <laughs> After one day, they raised my salary by $200 a month. Pretty good. Now, they, they, we didn't have salary increases like that for, for, for a while afterward. But, I mean, I went from just, so that we can make it, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know. I was rich. <laughs> At least I thought I was. I thought you were. So, yeah, and you started in the real estate group. I, I did. But in those days, uh, new associates were sort of rotated around to get a sense of what the firm did. Now, the Fulbright in those days was like 99%, not quite that, it was a litigation firm. If you wanted, <coughs> if you wanted a litigator on either side of the docket, uh, Fulbright was the large firm that, that you went to. And uh, so we would, we represented the railroad sometimes, we sued the railroads for sometimes, et cetera, et cetera, so oil companies, the whole, whole thing. And, uh, but most of our real estate business was really related to oil and gas. And uh, some corporate, uh, some uh, exploration, stuff like that. I basically told uh, my boss, I said, you know, it, I'll do what you want me to with respect to oil and gas, but I said, it is something that I don't really have any, any ability to, to appreciate. I said, so I said, I, I'm on a big learning curve if that's what you want me to do. He said, no, we got enough oil and gas lawyers. I, I need people to do grunt real estate work. And so that's what I got on my plate when I showed up. Okay. So then fast forward a few years here. Um, I, I, were you doing deals or outside of Texas, or, or were you sort of the, the go-to person in Texas that people were calling? Uh, you no. Other parts of the country? No. The, no, you, you've got to appreciate the fact that, uh, uh, how, do, how do I say this? That, uh, the state was plenty big and had enough real estate business that you could on your plate wherever you were uh, to do it here. I, there were not many people that I came across. And, and again, you got to understand that I was in a firm, still am in a firm, uh, but then uh, our reputation was litigation, not corporate, not real estate. Uh, uh, we had a budding uh, uh, practice in uh, uh, patents and things like that. We, 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 had, we even had an admiralty section. How many lawyers did you have back then? I, it, I'm going to say right at 100. Right. Okay. That, that, all, all in Texas, 
all in Texas? Or well, we, we had from 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 us from the start, we we had a, a DC office that right. was primarily involved in transportation matters before the FCC. I mean, if, if whoever regulates trucking and pipelines, <laughs> the the and and, and yeah, most okay. yeah, and mostly with respect to tariffs <laughs> and. Uh, so that was a regulatory practice. But I think we had uh, like a hundred lawyers in, in Texas and, and we had two offices, Houston, DC, that was it. Uh, that changed uh, obviously over the years, but, but long, long story short, we were not looking, at least real estate wise, we're not crossing uh, state borders to, uh, to do deals there. Houston, Texas was a, a real hotspot. And uh, I, we would do deals all over the state, uh, but we're wary of going uh, to places like Dallas, for example, they had their own uh, uh, insular practice. I knew I didn't want to practice in Dallas and I knew I didn't want to practice in Austin. But again, the kinds of practices that existed there uh, they thrived on their, on, in, in most cases, on their their particular market there. Now, in Houston, Heinz got his start in Houston. Heinz branched out further in Texas. The Dallas developers started in Dallas, branched, branched Fort Worth, other places. But it was, I would say, generally eight or 10 years after I started practicing down here that the people that were developing in Texas or doing deals in Texas moved outside of, of the boundaries <coughs> of, of the state. Now, <coughs> pardon me. So, uh, most most of my uh, my early years, most most of my practice has always been in state. Okay. So, the, the few clients that I represented that. Uh, we're doing deals outside of state. I, I generally would tell them, I said, I'm not going to try to represent you in a jurisdiction that I don't know. I know people there. I'm going to ask that you trust my recommendation on those folks. I, I, I never tried uh, to be a national practitioner. Now, okay. in, in some cases, I wound up with a national reputation. Uh, but I'm not sure that, and, and most of that was incoming, not not me going to them. They people coming in uh, into the Texas market. So ten years after you started, these guys who I assume you knew some of them, right? Ghosts and and Fred Lane and Ray Potter decide to organize this association of real estate lawyers around the country. Did you know those guys through the ABA at that point? Uh, I knew John, uh, Ray, I, I knew by reputation. Uh, uh, Fred, I, I think Fred's time with, with the ABA uh, had passed, but, but John was still down in the trenches, if you, if you will, with, with some of the newbies. But I, I, I knew more of, of Steve Cowan, uh, Noel Ellis, uh, people like that, 
from, from my ABA association. I had very little contact uh, with most of these folks in their own practice communities. That is, I didn't know anybody in Seattle. I wouldn't represent anybody in Seattle, uh, San Francisco. I would go and visit San Francisco and, uh, but, or, or Steve Cowan. Or, or, I, I, now, obviously their practices were built on, uh, shall we say a different foundation than, than mine was in, in terms of the folks I was representing. And a, a lot of us initially, you know, say the last first five, six, seven years, uh, I was doing work for senior partners in the real estate area or clients that they had been principal lawyers for, for years. In some cases, they were trusts, some cases, foundations, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. so when you got invited to join this group that was in formation in 1980, you know, what, what attracted you to, you know, become part of it and, 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 and then open <laughs> Uh, the names on the letter. I knew those names. Uh, mostly by reputation. I'm sorry. Mostly by reputation. Oh yes, yeah, clearly that. In in some cases, I I could walk up to somebody and say, "Oh, hi, Fred. Hi, John." So that that was mostly not the case. I'd obviously uh, attended seminars, CLE presentations, where those folks were on the. Uh, on, on the on the dais, uh, I had read publications, <coughs> books, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and and they were on there. They were in there. Uh, I had read them. I said these are really smart, Im important people. And when they thought enough of me, and I'm not sure why. Uh, at the time, I mean, I, I suspect that uh, my contacts with Jesse Heath here in Houston and the work in what we generally call the Houston Real Estate Lawyers Council contributed uh, a lot to that. Also, uh, uh, it, it's hard it's hard to know, but in, in any event, uh, somebody put my name forward and. Uh, it was well received. I, I knew that I had, and as I say, the, the fact that this letter arrived with all these names on it, uh, I said, I'd be a fool not to be associated with these people. So, so there were no, there were no national law firms back then. I assume, like you said, you had an office in Houston and Washington and Steve was sitting out in San Francisco at, at probably Steve Follen and, 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 you know, Morty was in, you know, Baltimore. Um, did, did you then um, connect with these guys as you started going to meetings and you became their Texas go-to person as the, as the industry started to nationalize? Well, I'd like to say yes, but the, I guess the first meeting I was, I was, uh, was able to attend was the one that was held in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. at the- In Arlington, the, Virginia, right? In Arlington in the fall, fall of 1980. No. No? No, I couldn't attend then, okay? I did not, 
my my membership certificate is, is is October of, of 1980. For whatever reason, I couldn't attend uh, the meeting. The first meeting I attended was at the Hilton Hotel in Washington, D.C. Uh, Tony Cucklin was the chair, uh, the general counsel of, uh, I think, FHA or, or HUD, I can't remember which, uh, a woman who was the, was the speaker. That was, uh, and uh, it was, as usual, it was just ahead or just after uh, the fall meeting of, of the ABA section. Uh, anyway, uh, I attended, uh, you know, looked around some of these folks I had never seen before, knew their names, uh, introduced myself. It was that kind of thing. It was, it was sort of like, I don't know, if there were 50 people in that room, I don't think so. But in any event, that was the first meeting I did. Anyway, long story short, yes, after I wanted to attend these meetings, I, I it was important. An organization like this, I thought, was important. It was important not only to me, but it had to be important uh, to, to the real estate uh, legal profession in, in order to give some sort of, of I don't know, wholeness, uh, some sort of, hey, look at us. Here we are. We're as good as the TNE lawyers, uh, the, the litigators, whatever, whatever uh, litigation uh, group that was the elite. And I thought real estate lawyers that that are really good, that really need an organization like this and should be able then to project themselves out into the legal community and say, okay, this is something that if you're, if you're out looking for lawyers, that's where you start looking for real estate. That's the way I felt about it. I wanted to participate. I wanted to learn from these people because I knew that what we were doing in Houston, Texas was not necessarily what was going on in New York or in Philadelphia or in Miami or, or what have you. And uh, I felt like I needed to understand that to get some sense of where, <coughs> where the business was. So now so, so I, I, I got to, I, I, I have the story, the, you know, my Dick Goldberg story you've heard before when I said the only time in 40 years of knowing each other, he hired me, uh, was, on a, was, was on an acquisition deal down here in Houston, and uh, it, it, didn't, uh, it didn't make. But I still, I still got paid for my legal fees. But I, I said, otherwise, he always said I had, he had a conflict and he couldn't hire me. So anyway, I don't think Morty ever sent me any business. I, I'm certain that I probably never sent him any business. But uh, again, I didn't know anybody in, in Baltimore that wasn't already represented by Morty's firm. <laughs> right, right. So you, you, you rose up through the ranks, you became president of the college in 91, you led the ABA section a few years later, Rippity, Rippity Chair. So you know, you've obviously done lots of wonderful things and, 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 and ah. active in these organizations. And what do you think and the world's changed, right? Very, very, very much in many, many ways. What do you think is important for looking forward to sustain the college now for people coming up through it like, like you did and we did and everybody else? Well, <laughs> uh, when you had an organization of a couple hundred people, uh, it was a whole lot 
easier to get around and uh, and and know people. I, I I think the college has has done a good job of adapting from time to time to the trends. Uh, it, that is the trend of law firms not paying uh, costs and expenses, uh, trying to figure out ways. Uh, you know, if, if if people want to take off uh, time, then it's their own time that they're taking off uh, to to attend meetings. So the, I think the college, as as other people, excuse me, uh, as other people have, other other businesses have, and I think it, it just has to continue to recognize that there are people that I think are willing to serve the legal profession. Uh, and as real estate lawyers, uh, real estate legal professionals, and that the organization needs to make that known to everybody. That, that is, there's a place for you here. It, it, at, at some point in time, I'm trying to think. I used to think we're the trust and states people and again, without calling any names or what have you, they have, in the past, they've had an elitist attitude that I, I just, just sort of turned me off. Not, I'm, not, I'm not a trusted state's lawyer, but I, 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 I look at and some of the litigation groups. To be elite is one thing, to be elitist is another. And I've always felt like if, if you can't welcome somebody and find somebody uh, a place in your organization, something about your organization is wrong. These, these are people who are willing, who first of all, have been screened, incredibly screened. We know a lot about the people that, we're, that, that we invite to membership. We invest a lot of time and energy in doing that. We make the selections, the selections are approved and these folks are invited. Once they're invited and pay their dues, we can't just ignore finding or, or assisting, getting them involved in our organization or involved in something that supports our organization. Not everybody is gonna be uh, really great at CLE or at administrative stuff, but they ex they accepted an invitation, and we need once once we've made the investment to invite them and they accepted it, then we have to. It, it's our job, the people on the inside, to to really welcome and say, you're important to this organization and this is why and how, how we go about doing that, I don't know for sure. Don't but, you think the college for, even in the world that we live in today, you said that the college was important to you because you're sitting in Houston and you, you were obviously smart enough to know that there were people doing deals in other places around the country and you wanted to learn from them. Even today, even today, when we've got a lot of you know, a lot of national law firms like yours and ours and Ballard's and Greenberg and all, all these firms have got multiple offices, even today, 
you can still come to the college meetings because it's elite, not elitist, as you said, and learn from people inside the college. Right. Yeah, but I also, it, it, it's one thing for me to go and learn. It's another thing to be a part of the college. In other words, I never desired to be just a member of the college. I wanted, always wanted to be involved in the college. I had people uh, who, who at least looked at me. And, okay, I, I remember, for example, when I was appointed, I don't know who appointed me or why, to the membership selection committee. Howard Kane was the chair. Uh, I served on that committee for two years. And then in, when we were uh, had, had a meeting in Silverado <laughs> in Napa Valley, I think Bill Dunn was present then. And Bill came up to me and he said, I'm appointing you the chair of membership selection. And I thought, holy cow. What did I do to, to get that kind of recognition? I don't know that Bill Dunn even knew who I, I didn't realize Bill had any idea who I was or was not. I knew who Bill was, uh, primarily through uh, the ABA. Uh, and so, and I was not, not aware then of his in, involvement in the early, early days of, of the college. So I said, okay, somebody got me involved and then somebody looked at me and said, okay, I got a job for you, <laughs> another job. It's the same way that I got involved in other things. So I just, I said, okay. <laughs> Had that not happened, I, I'm not sure where I would have gone, but once that had been done, I said, okay, good Lord, I've got to lead these, these people. We've got to manage this sort of thing. Okay. I had to interface with, quote, the big guys on the board dealing with various issues related to membership selection. So that, that's the kind of thing I'm not talking about just willy-nilly picking up somebody, but maybe uh, spending a little more effort to be sure that people are drawn in uh, and uh, as I say, become a part of, of the organization. Yeah, so, so your lesson, your, your, your advice is, right, that the college needs to continue to do what it did historically, and, and it's harder now, but to focus on engaging, not just be, giving the best CLE and the you know, the best discussions on the cutting edge issues, but to make sure that we're focused on engaging the new people and getting them engaged. Right. Okay. That, I mean, that's, that's what got me. I, I, I can tell you the first time I attended an, an ABA meeting, and I believe this one was at the Old Shoreham Hotel, in, in Washington, D.C. I, I don't even know if the building is standing anymore. I know you they got it, another. Oh, it is still there. Okay. Well, anyway, it was the old Shore Motel, and I walked into this. They used to have these meetings like on 
on Sunday afternoon, uh, like committee meetings or what have you, usually in a large, back then it was, it was in a, like the ballroom. And so you had this group was there, that group was there. Et so I walked up to this one table and I don't remember what the, was under discussion, but uh, John Travaskis was, I don't, you probably didn't know John, but, and, and God bless his heart. Uh, anyway, he, he was running this particular committee meeting and I walked up and he turned to me and he said, welcome. Why don't you sit down here and meet some of these people? And I said, well, fine. This is my first time to attend uh, an ABA meeting and also the, the, the real property probate and trust uh, activities on Sunday afternoon. And right then and there, I, I, I don't remember if Cowan was at that table. Noel Nellis might've been. And I, I, I recognize, again, recognize the names. I didn't have any standing other than I was asked to sit down at a table where these folks were discussing whatever's on the, on, on the agenda. Now, I probably was braver than a lot of people would have been, but I recognized that in order to move out of, of, of being considered somebody who was a quote, local and have some impact elsewhere. Uh, I just, I had to be outside of, of my little uh, environment in an office building in, in, in Houston, Texas. Uh, I don't think many people in my law firm understood that. Uh, certainly the uh, folks in the real estate law department didn't, didn't, didn't see that, but anyway. Okay. Well, this is why this has been very, very good. And I want to close as we're running out of time here with just two questions that are not aqua questions. So you've had a long accomplished career, been a great leader in the college and mentor to so many of us. With everything you know now, what would you have told your 25 year old self? <laughs> well, first of all, I was 25 when I entered law school. I was 28 when I came out of law school. Uh, at the end of the first semester in law school, I said, what in the world have you bitten off? Okay. Is this, is this too much to chew? Did you make a mistake? Uh, that's where I was in, at, well, well beyond the, the, the precursor of my career. Uh, I, one thing I learned in, in the Navy was there was a lot to learn. Uh, one, one thing I learned about practicing law, there was always a lot to learn. Yep. And the same way with moving through leadership positions and uh, management positions or positions of whatever you want to call. Uh, so learning has been a key, at least to my own personal success. If you don't know what's going on, you better well find out. Now, there are better, now I can probably Google it and find out what I'm doing wrong. But uh, 
the in those days, it was. I I guess if I had had somebody a a mentor a, a real uh, a real genuine mentor uh, that was interested in my success, not necessarily my productiveness, that I might have felt better uh, about myself from from time to time. But as I say, my goal was to learn. And from that learning, uh, try to become a better lawyer and a better leader. Okay. And if you didn't go to law school and become the great lawyer that you did, what other profession would you have <laughs> done? Ah, well, I always wanted, wanted to learn how to be an air, airplane pilot. Uh, okay. uh, but I was, I was too tall. <laughs> I, I don't really know. Uh, my, uh, I, I come from a long line of school teachers. And, uh, even though my father was a state policeman, uh, he he got his he got his start out of uh, college as, as a school teacher. My mother was a school teacher for over forty years. Her two sisters were forty years plus. Uh, my sister was a school teacher. Uh, my maternal aunt was a school teacher. Good lord. So I probably would have been a school teacher. Uh, the biggest problem with that was if I'd been if I start off as a school teacher, my patience would have worn thin probably in the first six weeks. Uh, I've learned over time that in in teaching classes, uh, done that a little bit, not a whole lot. Is that okay? Uh, you may be smart, but if you not, if you can't teach them, if you can't tell them, if you can't make them understand, you're you're not smart at all. And teaching is an art. There's no question about that. And uh, my wife was a was a fifth grade teacher for three years when I was going to law school. Uh, she still recounts the lessons she learned from that. She taught in a in a in a, in a very poor school in a relatively rich city. And it was poverty pocket where she said, I had to totally relearn how to approach a child who came to school hungry with no clothes and lived in an abusive environment, but wanted to learn. So as I say, learning how to learn and learning how to teach, I would, I would say, always stood me in, in, in good stead. I, one thing that, that I'd like to say is I, I like to learn in a number of different ways. I, I can listen, I can attend a lecture and come away with just as much at, from that lecture in my brain as I might have had I read uh, whatever the guy was there. So, so I, I'm able to learn in, in, in different ways fairly effectively. And I always found that to be uh, for on the job learning, uh, ha having your antenna up, I, I suppose, is is another thing to be sensitive to. OK, something's going wrong here and I don't know what it is, but I better find out soon. So oh, yeah, those are, those, down that road. OK, <laughs> those are those are great life lessons. I'm sure you would have been just like Penny, a fantastic. Hey, you want me to take my shirt off and show the scars? 
<laughs> yeah, right. Well, thank you, John, for thank you. so generous with your time. This has been a wonderful discussion of the history from the perspective of that big state down there, as you said in the beginning, that where you started practicing law. I'm a nationally recognized real estate lawyer, and we've had the benefit of you um, helping us do that. So right. thank you. I, I appreciate uh, being invited, but most of all, I appreciate the effort that you uh, are, are putting into this. And I, I know it's not an, uh, an easy thing to do. Uh, and it's done obviously with uh, love and appreciation for what the college has meant to you and what you want, what you want other people to know. Right. It's a privilege. It's a real privilege to talk I to you. That. You're Thank that you. kind of guy. You're kind of got, you're that kind of guy. Okay. Thank you. All right. Take care, my friend. Thanks. Bye.